When Ron Worley was homeless in 2003, he felt hopeless. He was drinking himself to a coward's death. He had lost everyone and everything that meant anything to him. He called himself a disgusting human being who looked for his next high rather than find a path to his children. Today, Ron Worley is going to share his story on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Ron Worley is a successful business owner, real estate investor, mentor, self-made millionaire, who follows his own code, the Worley way. We have a lot to talk to about today, Ron, and I am so glad to have you here. And of course, my audience wants to hear not just your story, but what the Worley way is. So let's start by your story of when you were in a place of devastation and how you got there. Sure, and thank you for having me on, Carol. It's very nice to meet you today. Um, yeah, back in... Uh, well, my pretty much my whole life, I grew up. Uh, I was introduced to uh, drugs and alcohol very early. I was two years old when they, my parents first got me uh, in, introduced to marijuana or weed, uh -huh. as we like to say. Um, and so I started smoking weed at two years old to put me to sleep oh, wow. and sort of <laughs> self-medicate or parent-medicate, uh, you know, my behavior at that time, I suppose. Uh, my parents were hippies and, and, you know, things were, they were just trying things out and it's, you know, it, it worked for them. Um, anyways, by the time I was 12, I was already, uh, having to be, uh, weaned off of the weed. So that was, uh, quite devastating. And so I, that's when no I kidding. started, wow. yeah, yeah. So my parents cut me off. Um, and then, so that turned me to the streets, right? So I, then I had to go out and find uh, my own weed, uh, and I couldn't always do that because I was so young. I was 12 years old. Uh, so I started drinking at about, around 12, 13 years old. It, you know, alcohol was much easier to get. Uh -huh. um, and so by the time I was in seventh grade, I was a full-blown uh, addict at that point. You know, I smoked weed whenever it was around. I drank whenever I could. Um, and by the time I was 16, I started in on the, on the hard stuff. So uh, acid and you know, LSD, uh, cocaine was really prevalent. I, at that time, I was living in Alaska, and, uh, you know, the, the drugs up there were quite different. Uh, we, they kind of got shipped in. So 
if uh, LSD came around, it was around for, you know, a month or two and you just did as much as you could while it was there because it might not be back for a couple of years. So, um, how did that's you, sort of, just interrupt you for a second. How did you function at a young age like this? You know, I, it's interesting. I, I was functional. I had, uh, I was quite the athlete still. Um, oh. I, I, yeah, I, I, when I went to college, I had a choice, uh, between football and wrestling and so I was quite good at both sports, and uh, I managed to do that as a full-bore alcoholic for sure and, and part-time drug addict. Um, I, we would do things in school. I quite often was drinking in school. Now, I did find a, a girlfriend uh, my you know a couple years into high school. I think I was a junior, and she sort of slowed me down a bit and taught me a little bit about uh, responsible drinking, and things got better at that point. Um, I was able to focus more. I didn't just go out and party every night. Uh, I would go home with her or be around her, uh, and she she really helped me focus, if you will. Didn't last long because by the time I left high school, hmm. uh, I was going to go to you know go play football in Shadron, Nebraska, of all places, and uh, I just totally ruined that with alcoholism. Just hmm. drunk drunk every night nobody to watch me at that point <laughs> i had a fake id and i went nuts i bought everybody alcohol in the whole <laughs> dorm and uh, we partied every single night uh and ultimately i ended up getting kicked out of college uh, at that point i thought that my life was over and and you know to an alcoholic when it's over what do you do you go drink more uh -huh, uh -huh. and so it, you know nowadays i look at things and go wow what a blessing that i got kicked out of college because um you know, it was not for me. I was not happy to be there. I just wanted to play football. Um, and it, it just wasn't sticking correctly for me. And, uh, but I was so pressured to do college. Be, I was going to be the first college graduate in our, in our family and, um, just all the things that pressured me into doing that aside from the fact that I couldn't imagine life without football. Um, but I, you know, as soon as you start drinking or as soon as I started drinking and, and that was more important and I literally just tossed my career in the trash, uh, my relationship of four years in the trash and, uh, started doing, you know, worse and worse things. Um, ultimately I ended up uh, with children and got married and things were looking pretty good. You know, I'd go through bouts of, uh, sobriety uh -huh. here and there. Um, I think that's quite common with addicts. We, you know, I could pull off several months, sometimes eight months, 10 months. Really? Uh, yeah. And that, and that was cool. My life really was, you know, when I was focused and, you know, I could see glimpse of greatness, uh, coming in my life and, and then I would go out and drink cause everything's great. And within a month, everything would be totally wrecked again. Hmm. Uh, and I led that lifestyle for quite a while as an adult about, I think I was 30 when I finally started to see the light. Um, you know, I was drinking and drugging every day. I had kids, I had now an ex-wife. Um, you know, my addictions took my family away, um, and all my possessions. And in 2003, I'm 30 years old. I have a one bedroom apartment. Um, I had just gotten in trouble with the police because, I had uh, made a phone call to my ex-wife and said some things I shouldn't have on the phone, and they didn't like that very much, and so <laughs> I got a, I got arrested for that, and uh, which was my 
at that point, my third arrest. So I thought I would run. I ran to Nebraska and uh, lived with a buddy there and just watched, you know, it followed me. I uh-huh. not only every single day did I ruin myself, but I, the, the lingering thing was that I wasn't now I was away from my children. Uh, and I spent yeah. very little time, I, about six months total time. But at this point, about three months uh, in Nebraska and just trying to drown my sorrows. I a severe alcoholic at that point. I had to wake up in the middle of the night to drink um, to keep the shakes away. Uh, I had to go to work with the you know alcohol on my person and and lo and behold, I got two DUIs uh, in Nebraska at that point. Or sorry, I got one DUI and one rollover car accident. Were you arrested then as well? I was arrested on the DUI, but not the rollover car accident. Um, somehow I had. I ended up in the hospital and somehow I buffaloed my way into, lied my way into not getting arrested. Um, there was no proof that I had been drinking, uh, so I just didn't admit to it and I, somehow I didn't get re- arrested for that. Well, addicts are good liars, right? Yes, anytime right? we open yeah. our mouths. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I rolled that car over and... I woke up in the hospital. I called my mother first thing. That's what I always did. See, she was my best enabler. Um, I called my mother and said, "Hey, can you give me some money? I got to get out of the hospital and get my stuff together here." And uh, she told me no for the first time in my life. Really? Yeah, she said no, and you can lay there and die for all I care. She won't. She won't admit to it if she ever hears this. Uh, you know that that's what I heard though. And so uh-huh. whatever she said, that's what I heard. I don't care if you die in that hospital. That that worked for me. My mom, my biggest enabler, was done with me for the first time ever. Wow. And, you know, she was, her and I had a very provocative relationship. I was her husband when I was a kid. Uh, she would date and men, I would watch men treat her like dirt. Um, I would watch her you know, go from man to man to man to man. Uh uh And ultimately it messed my head up on what a mother Uh should be. Um, The hugs and loves, that's not, that wasn't my mother. That was her and my brother's relationship, but not mine and her relationship. Uh, Of course, that's since changed. But uh, anyways, long story short, on that one, uh, my mom and I did not have a good relationship until I got sober. And uh, in 2003, I was finally homeless, rolled that car over, uh, had nowhere to go, and I went on one last bender with the cocaine <laughs> <laughs> just to see if I could get it done. I, In my head, I was trying to kill myself, and the car accident kind of told me that God wasn't going to take me, that uh, there was no way out of this, so I had to get my stuff together. I went on that one last bender for three days, and I woke up and and hauled butt to Colorado again um, and said, I got to get, I got to get it together. So I came back here, found uh, some of my brother to live with for a little bit, Uh, started going to recovery classes, AA meetings. Uh, I did 90 meetings in 30 days. (laughs) I was all in, man. I wanted to be sober. And, and quickly things started coming back. That was the really, really cool thing. As soon as I stopped caring about what I was doing and started uh-huh. having a purpose towards 
what I was doing. So, you know, it, it was all about my children at that point. Okay. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get my kids back. These guys need a father. That's originally why when, when I found out we were pregnant, I married their mom and the whole goal was to be a better father than my own. Uh-huh. And, and lo and behold, I became my father and, uh, it, it just wasn't sitting well. But by the time I got sober, that was the goal. And so 90, 90 meetings in 30 days. And then I found a, a job and another job. Uh, I found a one bedroom apartment and now I could have my children. Um, so we, we were in that one bedroom apartment very short term, like a month and a half <laughs> before I was, hmm. before I moved <laughs> on to the next one. Right. You know, you, to me, I belonged in a certain place. I belonged First of all, I belonged in ownership of a home. That's just kind of what I thought in my head. So everything was about getting a proper home for for us to live in. Um, And so that that part moved up quickly. I just kept working my butt off and um, upgraded houses. I think I lived in four houses that year, uh, the first year I was sober Um, and ultimately into a house that we bought. So, yeah. And when you when you're sober, uh, you realize all the devastation that you've caused in your own life. Uh, my credit was shot. Uh, you know, I had, I was in debt. I, I was about $150,000 in debt and there was no hope of paying that back. Uh, but in my, in my eyes, I had to pay it back. I had to figure out a way. I wasn't, wasn't going to do bankruptcy. I, I don't agree with that for everybody. And it definitely, I needed to pay my dues. So, I chomped away at that and got my stuff together and uh, having a home was everything. The kids had no idea. Once I got the kids back, uh, the, you know, my daughter was very angry with me. She was six years old and I can wow. remember I, I can remember the first time I saw her after a, a couple of months, uh, well, you know, four to six months there without seeing her. It might as well have been 10 years. She She just was her eye she was livid she was mad at dad um but you know we repaired those relationships um she to this day still holds some of that against me but uh, i've tried very hard to change that and break the cycle and and now 20 years sober i can genuinely say those kids have never seen me or remember seeing me drink so wow yeah (laughs) And they're all three very, very responsible young adults. My youngest is 21. My oldest is 25. Uh, my daughter has now had has children, and she's a wonderful mother. Um, all three of them are able to drink socially and res- and responsibly, and they hold down jobs. All three of them have houses and cars, and they live normal life, and it's mind-blowing to believe that uh, I was able to raise these children to be so responsible because at their age, you know, I was gone. It was, life was not good. Like you said, though, I mean, you broke the cycle. Exactly. And that was your ultimate goal when you finally realized what your goal was, right? Right. It was not to save my own life. It was to save theirs. Uh Uh, Uh I got sober to save their lives. There was no way they were going to grow up and be functioning adults without a father. That's that's kind of the way I looked at it. I was not able to grow up uh, without a relationship with my father. It, it didn't work at all. Hmm. A relationship with my mother, I, it didn't work. Um, 
and you know, so my father died when I was 24, uh, and he was actually killed by the, the police in Salina, Kansas. And it was due, you know, he had lived that life. He, he was a, uh, drug dealer and an alcoholic and, uh, he, you know, ultimately the cops caught him. He was innocent at the time, but he was doing things that got him there and beat him and, and he happened to die from that, uh, from his injuries from that. And that, that right there was, you know, that was also devastating. Uh, I, I, later in life trying to deal with that because I had a lot of amends to try and make with him. And when they're dead, you really can't have a good conversation. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> uh, but with my mom, that was awesome. Uh, instant, instant amends and our relationship changed completely. Uh, she also was an alcoholic and was sober. She's got, I think she's got eight years on me. Um, <laughs> so she, uh, maybe 10 years on me. She's, uh, so she understood where I was at, right where I was at. And, uh-huh. and we both wanted a, a good relationship. So we've, we've done well over the years, uh, since then. I have a note here to ask you what happened in 2016. I believe that was a pivot point. Yeah. So 16, that wasn't very long ago to me, uh, six, seven years ago, uh, everything's going great. I had again changed my life. I was lots of years sober. Um, I was a highly successful uh, entrepreneur. Owned several uh, Max Muscle stores. I was in a relationship, uh, I believe, thirteen years at that point with uh, uh, my wife Erin Brady, and uh, my kids were living with me. Everything was wonderful. Uh, so just cruising along great. Now I was definitely overworked. (laughs) You know, I was uh, working 80, 90 hours a week, nonstop work. Um, and the kids is things, the kids had so much going on. We had football games and track and Uh you know, all the stuff at school. Um, and so I was flying just right on by and I had this conversation or a a talk I had to give uh, a speaking event to, uh, probation officers at the courthouse. Mind you, one of my jobs is, or one of my companies is a bail bonds company. And so I was going to go speak about that with these probation officers. Uh, and lo and behold, on the way there, I, I always take my wife and my wife and I had, uh, gotten into an argument right before we walked into this place. And so on the way in, uh, we're kind of going back and forth and I said, Hey honey, look, I don't want to go in here fighting. I'm sorry. Just whatever it is, let's quash it. Let's move on. And of course, being who she is, she just gave me the look of death. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we went in and I did not get an apology or, uh, uh, quash the issue. Uh, <laughs> So I'm standing there, I'm giving this talk about half an hour into this hour conversation and I started to get dizzy. And so I leaned back on the table behind me and I said, oh, I'm, I'm getting dizzy. And I pointed to my wife and I said, Aaron always thinks I'm going to have a heart attack. And that was the last words. I hit the ground. Oh, my word. Dead before I hit the ground. And, uh, And my wife, of course, immediately, she's an ex-police officer, so she immediately administered CPR. It did not work. I uh, I was in heart failure, not heart attack. Um, So the only thing that was going to work was the AED machines. And and thank the Lord, I was in the courthouse when this happened. 
uh, because they have several of those machines all over the place. Huh. And the, the guards came in, they shocked me back to life twice. Um, I was dead for a little over two minutes total. Ultimately, they 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 got me back to life. Um, I wake up in the hospital and I and I looked over and my wife's there. She's obviously been sobbing. Uh, she's got tissues everywhere and she's looking at me and I said, oh boy, aren't you glad I didn't die? You never apologized. <laughs> <laughs> Always the comic, right? Yeah, right. And and that was the first words awake and boy, she uh, she holds that over me, of course, because yeah, you know what? We, we do make quick amends nowadays, so. You never know when somebody's going to drop dead on you. No kidding. You can say that literally. Well, yes, we're going to take a short break. But before we do that, why don't you tell us about your afterlife experience? Yeah, so I woke up uh, remembering a cold, dark box. And that was interesting because I thought I was not going to a great place. And uh, after, and when I say a cold, black, dark box, I couldn't see too two inches in front of me, but I was, I, I could feel, and in my head I was thinking, uh, or at least, you know, there was some thought there. I was, uh, able to feel a great loss and I couldn't tell if my loss was for it. In my eyes, I didn't know if I was dead or if I had been dreaming or, and I was stuck in this box or if the box was afterlife. I didn't know Oh man, did I, I, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, did I just dream all of that? And, and when I said those words in my head, I felt all of my love for, uh, my family. And I knew at that point that, no, this is, this is not good. You need to get back and, and start fighting. And, and at about that point, I fell through the floor into, uh, light. And that's when I came alive. Um, I always say it, it reminded me of when Porky Pig used to come out in the cartoons and he, <laughs> yep, 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 that's all folks. You know, that, <laughs> that little, uh, pinhole of, a of a light came and then he would pop up and, and that's sort of how it, how it went for me. So, uh, the afterlife was scary for a long time, but I did some, uh, I did some research on it and a lot of people talk about the dark room prior to their real near-death experience uh, where they go on to see the Lord or there is a holding room, if you will. I, I don't know if that's it, but uh, a holding room that you go. And I wasn't dead long enough to, you know, I, at the max, I was dead for a minute and 20 seconds uh, the first time. And then, you know, under th about 30, 30, 45 seconds the second time. So thank you for sharing that. That is really, really interesting. I appreciate that. Sure. Now, we're going to get to something exciting in a minute. I mean, not that this hasn't been exciting. <laughs> I'm thoroughly enjoying your story. Thank we're going you. to take a short break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about how your story applies to other people and what they can do to achieve what you have basically what you're just starting to to achieve even though it's been a few years right because you're yep. going you're going upwards and and onward and i really appreciate that enthusiasm so we will take a quick break and be right back carol graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir battered hope 
She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. Failure, addiction, abuse. Circumstances can overshadow a life of purpose. Choosing bravery and making hard choices can seem impossible. Yet, your growth is your choice. I love these words, Ron. <laughs> From homeless, addicted, and alone to a multi-millionaire, Ron Worley wants you to discover the values that led him, including the Worley way. Oh, I absolutely love this. <laughs> and one more thing that you said, and then I'm going to turn this over to you, share everything you want to share about that, and that is, your dreams may be free, but getting there demands a price. Oh, my goodness. Bumper sticker of the year. <laughs> <laughs> so take it away. Share that part it. of your life. Yeah. So, you know, here we are sober and I didn't have a blueprint. My, my father was dead. My mother's, a, she's a mom, but we're not like, we're not, uh, that was not our relationship. Nobody told me how to be successful. There was literally nobody in my life that I could mentor, uh, just about how to live life, how to be a father, how to be a good person, how to none of that. And so I was lucky enough to have met my wife. Uh, she knew she's very black and white. She's an ex-cop. She uh, she knew right from wrong. She knew she knows she's very stubborn in her ways, and because she knows right what is right. Period, and uh, that's something I was not blessed with. So uh, I had to have rules and. Uh, a buddy of mine, this is what he does for a living. He helps people find purpose. And through many accidental mistakes, I had met him, and uh, his name is Jim Hensel. And he, he just said to me one day, you need to find your purpose. You're you're wallowing around here, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's time to focus. And it, this is after I'd already owned all these businesses, and I'm but I'm running around, I'm not happy. <laughs> Uh, I have, I'm, I'm just doing things for other people. I'm not really doing anything for myself, nothing to stand on. And, and quite frankly, men are men in general, uh, are wired just differently than women. And that was something that, you know, I was, I was running around trying to be a man, but I was learning from women and, mm -hmm. and, and it just wasn't the same. Um, men, men are very honorable, uh, people. They, you know, the mantras, the chants, the, the military, all that stuff works for us because we, we love honor. Hmm. And to me, I needed to honor my, who I was and where I was headed. And, and I did that through these 10 values, um, called the Whirly way. 
I sat down with my buddy Jim. We talked about it for several months. We went through some minor counseling uh, to get there, but ultimately I came up with these 10 values and I wrote out descriptions for them. And these 10, these are things that I could wear as a trophy. These were um, a way I could raise my children. This 10 distinct values that I knew were right. They were the correct way to be a human and I could teach them to my kids. Uh, I could run my businesses with those same 10 values. And it, it just started to work. It was it was a choice, but at the same time, it, it's like uh, everything had led me there. Um, we, our businesses, I was, I was sort of hiding from my, my history. I did, I didn't want anybody to know, but, but as soon as I did that, uh, these 10 values, I came out with my story and I just posted it front page on our website and you would not believe how many people it resonated with. People were coming in just to talk to me because they had the similar stories. They were alcoholics, they were drug addicts, they'd lost their children. Uh, they were failing in life, just all the things uh, that I had put in this story about myself. And uh, everything kind of clicked at that point. I, I started to enjoy uh, being alive, number one, but I enjoyed my children a lot more. Uh, trying to dis- One of the things that's very hard about raising children is trying to decide what is the correct thing to teach them. Uh, when they make a mistake, how do you tell them it's a mistake without destroying them? Right. And it's very easy when you throw your values in the middle of it because, you know, my I'd sit them down and we'd go, okay, how did you affect your family negatively? I'd go right through all the values. How did you affect your family uh-huh. negatively? How did you? How is this show hard work? How does this show freedom? How does this show uh, blessings? And you know, we would go through it, and and ultimately when they were. Uh, young adults, 18, 19 years old, and they're about ready to leave the house. By the way, all my children left uh, the house immediately. Um, They were on their two feet and ready to roll, so that was cool. Uh, So these conversations, when they were young adults, 16 to 18 years old, I think the last child was 18 when we had this conversation, but they made their own values at that point. They were raised by ours. And then they got to choose their own and we went through the process that I went through and it just makes them great young adults. Yes, definitely. And so now I'm raising children based on these imagined, they're no longer imaginary what I felt in the moment, right and wrongs. They were solid answers to my value. These values were my solid answers to how to run life. Mm-hmm. Which every alcoholic, every drug addict out there knows that that is a very serious thing. We are just, we run off the feelings in the moment and we don't understand. And and if you were raised by an alcoholic or drug addict like I was, every time I got in trouble, it was for something different. I didn't know what right and wrong was because they didn't know either. They Uh They were telling me no or yes based off how they felt. If they were drunk, I got away with more. If they were hung over, I didn't get away with anything, and I'd be in trouble, and, uh, you know, all that goes away And uh, when you have values. Now, these values also I gave to our company, so, uh, you, you know, I'd run my companies with my 10 values, but I would give our company, one of the first things I do, even before a business plan, is come up with values that I want to bestill to the public uh, through these companies. 
Uh, and lo and behold, it gave them direction as well. We had four stores, uh, Max Muscle stores, and we were biting for number one in the country every single month. Wow. Yeah, and, and I'm telling you, it wasn't that way. We, as soon as we turned those values on, boy, the, the community is able to touch the company, and it just kind of bridges that gap that we're just some corporation or, you know, unknown company. We're, you know, we had real people in there. And when I'd have employees come on, that was super cool because I would interview them based on my values and I would ask them questions like, hey, what do you believe family is? How do you how are you interacting with your family as an adult now? Um, and I would collect these answers and based on what their values were, I would hire them. Um, we all of a sudden we were going every two weeks we were hiring somebody new. And as soon wow. as <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, and highly, uh, it costs a lot of money to do that. But uh, we were starting to see after we imp implemented values and had our employees implement their own values, we started to see longer lasting employees. We started hiring people that were future doctors and uh, millionaires and it's, they're highly successful today. And we were high, our hiring went down to every six months. That is incredible. Wow. Now, after the 2016 incident, I decided that uh, it was time for me to slow down. So in my values, uh, you know, I was able to run these businesses from afar. And that's what I do now is uh, I consult them more so than I do run them. Um, I have people that are very smart and good at their jobs. They run their businesses. I do uh, things on the I, – I sort of consult and then I'll take on uh, – certain clients if I can. Um, but I do a lot of golf now and I, and I'm, I make money from the golf course. <laughs> the American dream, right? No kidding. And I love your mantra, which is believe and you will re achieve. Make up your mind, set the goal and believe you will get there. You know, I do believe in that. I, I, you will manifest what you want. If you, if you're scared Mm -hmm. of fail, failure all the time, um, you're, you're going to fail. That's a fact. And if, if you believe that you can think outside the box, make something happen, be creative, these things come to you. If, you, if there's an issue in your business, you can be highly creative and think outside the box to get that issue corrected. Uh, almost always that it's when you quit is when you when you lose it, you know you're not right exactly yeah and so it to, to me if we just keep believing keep believing keep believing and and never quit you will be successful period sounds like you're on the right show yes <laughs> <laughs> all right tell us about your book i love the title ditches to riches yeah ditches to riches uh i I didn't come up with that title, uh, but it was such a good title. I kept it. A buddy of mine that helped me write the book, he, he was, a, we call him a book coach. Uh, I didn't know anything about writing books. Uh, in fact, English was not my best subject. And so he helped me outline and, you know, come up with a plot and these things. I, I Before I put the book out, it was just throw up on paper. So... <laughs> <laughs> And I knew I had to get these stories out, and especially after I had died, uh, you know, in of 2016, yes. I needed something for my children. But 
uh, he helped me make it into a book. It's been, uh, you know, everybody that's read it, it's loved it. Um, it was a great experience to write the book. It took me a couple of years to get it out. Some of the things that I talk about in there are very personal, uh, but I think Again, that's how I connect with the audience right. is, is try to give you something personal so that you trust me enough to give to give yourself after reading that a good look. And and really, if you follow the steps, if you go through the process, you will come out the other end looking at having 10 values for yourself. As you were talking earlier, I was thinking it, your company really shows empathy. Yes. Which is definitely not usual. That's right podcasts i love that title too sons of ditches <laughs> yeah that that is awesome i love that one um we have a lot of fun and and what i do is i interview uh people that have been through i want to i want to see success stories but i want them to have been through a, a mess of a life just like myself uh, my story gets old and so i thought well let's find other people that have similar stories but maybe not drugs and alcohol um, there's several interviews in there of, of early childhood traumas, uh, self-induced traumas, you know, just the, the nastiest of nastiest survival stories that you can imagine. And, uh, and you know, what's funny is Carol is that, uh, a lot of them are life coaches now. <laughs> so that, I don't know right, why that right. it makes me giggle because they've been through it. Uh, and now they're trying to get their, themselves out there uh, and sell their own books and podcasts and things. And, you know, it's, it's humorous. Uh, we all, once you get through it, boy, you are uh, the wisdom. That's right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Helps Absolutely. others. Well, we are running out of time, but this has been definitely enlightening, definitely inspiring, exciting. I love stories like this, obviously, because that's what the name of the show is, is people who have been in that hopeless, you know, place, coming yes. to a place that has totally, totally changed and sharing those stories. There is such a need for stories and people love stories and they're going to relate just as I am relating with your story. And I thank you for sharing it. So in conclusion, any word of encouragement? I hope that others... Do not let their mistakes define them. Hmm. And let's go out and just live like you're dying. Wow, that's interesting. I love that. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you again, Ron, for being on Never, Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never, Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.